I was working as a personal trainer at the time. And I had a client, Harry, who introduced me to a, a guy, a friend of yours, called Nat. Nat Clark, our good friend Nat. Then he introduced me to you. One time I went to his house and you guys had this meeting, just the guys, every Wednesday night, evening. And then this is when I met you. And I just never forget how intimidated I felt from you, you know. Because <laughs> uh, you opened the door and I'm like, okay, so it's this skinhead guy with a leather jacket looking so peaceful and confident, which are two extremes for me because... Uh, you know, as you know, I'd, in my background, I just wanted to appear confident, but there was no peace. And the paradox is very often that confidence comes from peace, but I had none. And this is when I, I was just, you know, in the presence of people like you, I always felt like a fraud just about to be discovered. Because, you know, deep down being a young child and having these muscles and this body and this shaved head just to keep the dangerous world at bay. And then in the presence of somebody like you who didn't need to do this. This is what really intimidated me and also drew me towards, okay, well, maybe I can be like this in my own way. Maybe I can have that freedom. And yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, I remember my impression of you. um, And we're going to be really honest in this conversation because it's really important that we are, is that you seemed very angry. You know, you just seemed, I remember, really, really angry and it was hard for me to tell like who you were angry with, like if you were angry in the situation and, or if you were kind of angry with yourself. But then as soon as you started talking, you were so real and so open. And very often when we were talking, because in that group, so just the background is we would just get, get together like five or six of us and just talk and talk about our lives and what was happening to us and what was going on. And we were all different ages and from different backgrounds. And that group grow, grew from like three of us who met every week and just talked to at one point, like eight or nine, I guess there were quite a few and totally different people. Like it was like a lineup in some kind of a crime. <laughs> it was like the usual suspects. Um, all of us just uh, at crazy places and just all dealing with different things, mental health and crisis and breakdown and all going through different things. But I remember with you, you seemed under the surface to have this kind of kind of anger, but you also seemed often very conflicted. You seem to have this kind of sense of desperately wanting to connect, but also this huge weight of what I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if it was self-loathing or shame, but there seemed to be kind of this weight on you where you didn't want to be seen. And I remember I would always look at you and ask you things and you'd look away. You'd always look away and you would be chewing your uh, fingernails. You would always be chewing your fingers and looking away and looking away. And I always wanted to connect with you. Um, and over a long period of time, you softened and you you changed. But is that accurate? What was that experience like for, for you? Tell me a bit about your experience. Well, it's... Because you have a deeper vision and you've seen the anger, but I didn't know about the anger. If I if I've been aware of the anger, I would have been freer actually, freer to feel right. At least people see some sort of force in me. But my biggest conflict in life is that I didn't believe there was anything strong about me, so I hid. And obviously, I didn't want to be seen because I hated myself and I I didn't think that anything in me 
that could be seen will be worth seeing and worth respecting as well. It's not even so much about worth seeing, but also worth respecting because, you know, who, who wants to be a child at the age of 26, I think, when I met you? Um, I just wanted to be grown up. I wanted to, to be the man that I acted like, that I looked like, but I couldn't be. So self-loading, shame, um, carrying the baggage from my past, from my father, who I couldn't be like. I just remember looking at him and thinking, oh, well, he's the man and I, I can never be like him. So I started hiding very early in life, very early, because I remember even my dad, who did his best in many ways, um, he would say to me things when I was like four or five, oh yeah, you're a little hero, you know, you're a hero. And I just remember thinking, I hope he doesn't see that I'm not, because mm. I'm not like this I can't be very early in life I knew that I can't be a man I can't be somebody who does anything heroic or anything that to stand out I'm just just a, a little soft child so the anger that you saw which later I realized and I started accessing and that freed me in many ways um, I was not aware of at the time I wish I was because it would have given so much freedom say wow if John sees anger in me, then it means that I have got some sort of strength, something to um, resist anything in the world that I might not agree with or might, might be wrong. But I, I was not aware of anything that is strong. Everything is animal, soft and mushy and childish and, and also ugly as well. Ugly because, you know, when you're stuck in this childhood, um, anything that provokes you to rise up and be a man or just points out that you're insecurity then you lash out against but if you're ugly don't lash out like a man you know it's more like like an angry boy who in many ways had many issues and, and a lot of hatred because when you hate yourself then you hate the world as well because the world made you hate yourself and I had a lot of these conflicting things doing. I hate myself I hate the world I, I love myself and I want to connect with the world so it's like I was split. And when you look at the history of even my land, where I come from, from Bulgaria, when you look at the history, it's always been not so much about other people invading us, even though that was true, but it's always been about trying to get bits of the country back, which is what my journey has been. The success of my journey is that I've managed to, to find bits of me that were missing and finally connect with me so that I could connect with others as well. But um, the curse of it has been that Parts of me were missing, and I knew they were missing. I knew I could be more. And that's why I hid. You hide from the fact that you, you can't meet the world, and you can't meet, I, I couldn't meet your gaze with gaze of my own, because I knew that the part of you that connects with the part of me wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So I have a man that's trying to connect with another man who is busy pretending that he is a man while he knows that I haven't got anything to respond with because I'm just a child. So tell me a bit about what your relationships were like growing up. What kind of relationships did you see and what formed that angry man who was hiding? Where does that come from, George? Why do men get like that? These, like you were, this huge muscular, shaved head, massive muscles, aggression, this huge physical power. But inside you were afraid and you felt childlike and you felt shame can you tell me a bit about how that how that happens to men well the baseline for every development for every child should be love um there was a book that you know talked about the stages of manhood i think it was john eldridge and other people as well 
being being boy being that is boy first and then being that explorer explorer and then then is the warrior and then is the lover and and then is the the king and then is the sage so if one of these stages is missing or is or is undernourished then obviously the others need to make up for it but you still have that luck so when you look at the relationship that i saw I could look at my dad and, you know, his father was never around. His father was a war hero and he, my dad's own words were that he would come home once in a fortnight just for the weekend and he didn't even know what to do with his sons in, in terms of whether to discipline him for something that he's done wrong or, or to, to be with him. But so my father had to grow up just being the man of the house very early and trying to man up in many ways. He worked. He started working when he was 12 and 13. Just really hard physical labor and away from home, hours away from home, without, without mobile phones at the time, without nobody knowing where he was. And then in his 20s, um, he went to Siberia for six years. So, so this is not something that comes out of his inner strength of sense that he's already been fed by his father. It's something like, I just have to do this. So when you have to do something, instead of rising to the occasion using things that you already have, when you have to do something, using the, the little that you have, it means that other parts of you need to pay for it, for that deficit. So, so you're becoming tough, yeah, you're getting things done at the expense of something else, at the expense of other part of you. And so that other part, that boy, has to die, had to go underground and say, no, 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 there's no time for this. You can't be sensitive, you can't feel. There's no time to feel. You want to survive? You want to live? If you want to live, go and work, do it. So my, my dad was somebody like, would, he would wake up in the morning. It doesn't matter if he'd been drinking the night before. He would wake up every day, for the, ever since I remember him, up until recently, and go to work. No complaints, nothing, no breakfast, nothing. In the past, when he spoke, smoked, he would even smoke in the morning. No breakfast, just go and work. But because we were not connected, because he scared me so much, I rejected that vision of masculinity. And yet... There was nothing else that I could become because I had to protect myself. So that's the vision of masculinity that people now might even call toxic uh, in some of its expression. But that protects you. You need that shell. And because I didn't have anything to protect me, I just tried to do that on my own as much as I could. But I did it just outwardly. I didn't even dig deep into myself to find this strength like my father and his anger and his warrior ability. He had that. Somehow he had that. I didn't even have that. I just had deeper understanding of me, but I couldn't even express anything. The curse of my existence is that I was neither here nor there, you know. So that's both the curse and the blessing because, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is what led me to actually look into myself and to, I've always been miserable. Ever since I was three years old, I feared other men, other boys. I was always miserable. I always hated myself. And this, yeah, it could have led me to suicide, but also led me to self-discovery and, and, and finding deeper truth. Um... But my father had something, and so he was successful in hiding behind his warrior you know, persona, getting things done and working hard, and nobody could tell him what to do. So he was successful, but in his success, he lost a huge part of him, which he still hasn't regained. The boy is not there in many ways. So, yeah. Hmm. So having that experience with your dad, how did that impact on your relationships with other men? Well... <laughs> I feared other men, just like I would fear you, because you appear to be stronger than me. So everyone who was stronger, everyone who, even back from boyhood, who was physical in some way, or was confident to play football, or, or God forbid, martial arts. No, I wouldn't even be... 
I wouldn't be myself in your presence. I would just try and survive and hide as best I can, hoping that you wouldn't be probing or, or trying to, uh, to, do, to have any banter with me or to uh, play fight and things like this. No, no, no. I just hope to survive and, and keep the mask on while I'm in your presence. And then in the presence of those who are more intellectual and in many ways weaker in front of other men and they couldn't get their way, uh, then I would be myself because I felt like the stronger one. I said, oh, I can relax here. <laughs> We're just all in the same boat. Yeah, and, and I think what's interesting is that men who have that particular wound in their childhood with their dad where they don't feel that they can, they can be, they don't feel seen and they have to hide, they don't feel they can make the, break, make the grade. What's so sad is that then so often everything in their relationships becomes about power, whether or not someone is more powerful than them on whether they can exert their power. So so I, one of the things I'm really interested in with you, because it's such a fascinating part of your story, is, is so that led then to you trying to take your power, you building yourself up a huge amount of weight training and getting into this huge person and tattoos. And um, tell me a bit about that, that process where you're trying and trying to, I guess, is it to gain power or tell me about that? Um. Power, men are powerful whether we like it or not. And if we don't have any sort of legitimate power, good power over our world outside, we'll turn, it will go somewhere, but it will be exerted. So obviously I couldn't stand up to any bully. I couldn't speak my mind to people. I'm not even talking about bullying. I'm talking about speaking your mind to people. I never said to anyone, I disagree with you. And just look at them in the eyes with love, with compassion. You know, we don't have to agree. How are you going to grow if you, if every friend ever agreed with you or me you know you don't have to agree but the power that I should have exerted that my father should have enabled me to exert outside to, in being myself in impacting the world in love in being myself I turn inwardly and I turn into bullying the bullying of my little child inside of me and and I've done that since since I was three years old but I was 15 and I keep telling the same story but I was 15 when uh, this bully had given me a black eye he hit me I didn't have any in me to fight and my dad said well you should fight you know next time you know you need to get him you need to take your revenge and then I looked at him and, I, and he knew I wasn't going to do it and he said don't worry I'll do it you're not, you're not made for this and this is when I just remember just killing that little boy and just feeling I just wish you die you little worm why are you not like this just die get out of my way die just just go, go. So that very, literally the next day, I started lifting weights as if to, see, the big body that I built after that was like the, tom, the tombstone on the grave of the boy, basically. Like this huge tombstone. Look, there's somebody here. There's somebody huge. It's white concrete, like the communist buildings that we still have in Bulgaria. This is power, but inside it's rotten. It's not based on reality. It's, yeah. So that's, my, that's where my power went. That's so beautiful. Yeah, the tombstone on the grave of the boy. And often, I think when I've worked um, intensively with, with men who, who have gone down that route, then it seems like a lot of their control of their body is about just that. It's about control. They can control their power because they can look bigger. And then often I'm you would understand this much better than me, but I'm so shocked when I really get into their subconscious and their psyche and their dreams and nearly always behind that big muscular ripped body is this terrified, insecure, frightened child 
And it's that 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 drives them more, more, more. You know, weigh your food, get more ripped, lift bigger and bigger weights, more tattoos. But behind that is this is this fearful, fearful child. And that's always a, a shock, a shock to me. So, so tell me a bit about that. How does that work? Tell me about that dy- dynamic, that being driven to control your body because you're afraid. Yes. Well, it comes down to self-hatred. You don't like this child. You don't like anything about him, his body, his face, his looks, nothing. He's just somebody who, um, you just want to kill and destroy, but because you can't kill and destroy, even though some people do kill themselves, If you don't do that, you just replace that self with something else. So that monument, whatever it looks like on the outside, that's it. So you just chisel that moment, that monument. You just chisel it to perfection. And as soon as that child starts, you know, reading his head, and you're like, no, get back inside. So you can't miss a workout. And if you eat something sweet, you look at your belly and say, oh, I should. Even though I never quite got there to actually manifesting that perfect body, I I wanted to. Um, I was just very conflicted because I ate a lot of sweets as well. So the child wasn't quite dead yet. And that's the blessing of my existence, apart from the curse that I wanted to kill him. The blessing is that um, he never allowed me to go there because there was still a lot to live for. And I was still conscious of what I of dream and what I wanted to live, the, the beauty of the world. But it's the self-hatred that really drives us for the most part because you can't allow yourself to become somebody softer in body. Just like you may be seeing yourself being softer in spirit and mind. Okay, I can't, I'm soft inside. I can't resist the bully. I can't make my way in the world, but I'm going to make my body harder. And at least now they're going to see. And I'll try and gain some power. And some people, they get very angry as well, but I never quite got there. And luckily, because if I did, then I'll make that work for me. And then I wouldn't need any repentance and any redemption. I would actually feel pretty good. But it's self-hatred. You just want to kill that child and you just want to harden him. Just keep him away from you as far as possible and just just become hard on top Mm. and when you're in that angry state where you're pumping your body and you're you're trying to be tough and to be strong tell me a bit about women because i'm really interested when i work with those men their relationships with with women and the way that they view women so for you what was that like how did you see a woman and how did you see sexuality um how did you treat women what were you like with them physically what were you like sexually tell us a bit about that Yeah, for me, it's very complex. Um, again, it's a conflicting sort of mixture. But I I started masturbating when I was eight. So my my experience with porn and things was very early in life, long before when it should have come, adolescence. So um, to me, part of my nature, very little part, actually wanted to honor women. Another part just was addicted to pleasure that the woman's body can give you. And... Um, Let me just think about this. Um, yeah, so here's what it looked like to me when I was at the height of my living in deception. Behind the, the facade of, of nice clothes and good body, it looked like um, any woman who doesn't know me, who doesn't see the, the, the crushed little boy inside, the ugly little boy inside, then I would be... Clark Gable to her. I'll be a gentleman. I'll be gallant. I'll be. I'll just you know take stars down from her for her, and that's just made me feel so good. So I just kept dating different women, but I never allowed them to get close to my story and my heart because I haven't got close to my story and my heart. I was just living unconsciously, trying trying to forget it. So 
I, I was happily allowing him to see any flickers of little potential in me, but I kept them away. However, as soon as there were two women in my life, and the second one, luckily, I'm still with, and she's my wife, as soon as I let them come too close, then they became mom. And my relationship with mom has not really been good. Um, she was somebody who, in many ways, darkened my own masculinity and suppressed it and never allowed it to, and diminished it, diminished it. So, a lot of anger, that anger that I should have had against the bullies on the playground, the masculine anger that is, is built in us to protect us and to protect our world and to, to make the world better, manifested in a twisted way against the woman that I loved most because in some way she became the mom that I didn't like, that I, I wouldn't get close to. So sexually, the attraction would diminish then where it would increase on the outside in that beautiful woman that I don't really know and I don't want to know, but there's something alluring there because you can have the mystery of life without actually entering it. And that's what it looked like to me, this conflict. Mm, so would you express anger a lot to, to women and would you have like that need sexually to kind of dominate them? And would you have lots of volatility in your relationships where you'd explode into rage or would it be a quiet sort of seething thing? How would that work? I was never, ever angry with a woman, with the women that I dated. The one woman that I've been angry with is, is my wife. Because then you couldn't escape mom. You need to deal with mom issues. And that's why most people divorce. Oh, well, I don't feel anything for her. She's just become somebody different. So, so that's fascinating. I've seen that a lot. As soon as you're in a relationship that requires commitment and to be seen, the rage comes out. When you're just having sex with people and using their bodies and then moving on to the next one, then you can hide the shame, can't you? You can hide who you are. You can be that tough, muscular guy. But as soon as a woman wants to see you, as soon as you become someone close to them and as soon as they demand that you're real. And so many uh, young women, when I work with, with couples, so often the, the man will talk about rage and about sex and about his own identity. And so often young, young women who I work with will just say to me, I just wish he'd allow himself to be seen and I wish he'd see me, but he doesn't. He'll have sex with me, but he won't see me. He'll use my body, but he won't see me. He won't be present. And so often I don't think men can allow themselves to be seen in relationships because they haven't seen themselves. And they can't live with themselves. And they have this huge gap between who they know they are, the unhealed man over who there's all these plasters that they've put, you know, a big body, a plaster, a job, a plaster, a car, a plaster. But none of those things heal is the wound. It bleeds and bleeds and festers. And then often they meet a woman who loves them and who looks for them, searches for them, and they're ashamed and they're hiding and so often then the rage comes out with that committed women because if you can't hide anymore, you're like an animal. <laughs> You've been trapped down an alley and so it's fight or flight. So your anger comes out. But most of it is saying, keep away from me. Does yeah. that resonate? Yeah. And, a lot of, and I remember how, um, how beautiful I felt with all those other women. And the woman who, to me, was the most beautiful of them, who saw the most beauty in me, made me feel the ugliest. And that was such a paradox. And I, you know, I've never been close to split up with a woman than I've been with my wife so many times. And it's really interesting because I've noticed when I've worked with men who just have serial relationships, um, 
that they will stay in the relationship in that honeymoon part of the relationship where they can be the sex god you know the new sex the man who uh, is so amazing in bed and so muscular and the great body and buys me the flowers and gives me the attention and that lasts for a little bit amount of time and it's an anesthetic for both people in the relationship but pretty soon reality sets in and then the man will feel himself begin to be seen his real nature will come out <laughs> because that whole act and that serial set of relationships, woman after woman after woman, is just one huge plaster. It's not about the woman. It's not about intimacy. It's not about commitment. It's not about sex. It's just that that attention, you know, the extent to which a man feels weak and feels damaged is the extent to which he will need to elevate himself to be the king and the prince in his relationship. And so often men will get into these situations where it's just a fantasy to them. They don't realize it. But then after two months, they'll come back and they'll say, oh, another relationship that didn't work out. But why doesn't the relationship work out? Because at root, they can't deal with reality. They can't deal with being seen. And so now I need to find the next woman who puts me on a pedestal because with this one I've been seeing, my mask has slipped. <laughs> They've seen me for who I am one day. You know, I've begun to show them who I really am and that frightens me more than anything. Yeah, that's right. It's funny you should mention seen. I just had s some memory, which I didn't, I don't know where it came from, but Uh, there was this one girl who really loved me and saw some wonderful qualities in me. But back then, I didn't want any relationship. I, I didn't want anything to work out. I said, well, maybe when I get in my 30s, then I plan to just to just take pleasure as much as I can, I could from life. And, and I, I remember sleeping next to this girl who really loved me and we split up only because I wanted to split up. I said, I, I can't be with just one woman. And she was great, but I remember hearing her say something in, in her sleep and it was about me and she said, Let them see you, dear. Let them see you. And I just felt, really, I wanted to get out of there. Let who see me? What do you mean? That was scary to me. See what? That, the crushed little boy, the ugly little boy? No. No. I want to be beautiful. I, I want to have a good life. But, you know, you grasp onto life, you lose it. I never was this person who I wanted because I hadn't gone inside and seen me. So we've come in a big circle, I guess. Um You've talked a lot about that background and kind of your story. So here's something I'm really interested in. So from when you joined our little group and you started coming and meeting us weekly and met me and Nat and, and Harry and other people, how did those relationships and that group, what are the things that begins to change and soften, you know, that hard, angry, muscular, aggressive, angry man? What, what are the things in you that over these years have, have changed you? Tell us a bit about that story. Well, first, I realized that uh, through talking to you and, and talking to Keith, that um, there is more to me. And because, you know, very often in the world, especially nowadays, more than before even, it's all about being open and vulnerable. But when you know that the bottom of you is just this, this childish creature, then what's the point of keep showing him to others if you don't like him yourself? And yet, when you talk to me about our past and Keith talked to me about where issues, as we call them, originate from, it made me think that, hold on, if there are such things that, that are negative that come from somewhere, it means that 
They're there to mar something positive. They're there to discolor and disfigure something that is good. So if I get rid of things, then it means that I can get to something. So it wasn't just, oh, well, I just want to be open and vulnerable to John. I'm like, there's hope here. There's hope that I can actually finally start becoming at least step by step this person who I always knew I could be. And then my wife, when she met me, she knew I could be. She saw somebody, something more in me. So this is what drove me. But what I did see was um, people who were aware of these things and who were taken, especially you and Kate, taken the journey and Nat as well, um, who, who were aware of and talked freely about these things as if those things, not just for the sake of the things, but as if they were part of that journey of becoming something, something good, something better. So that's hope. I got hope from that group. Yeah. And, and what began to happen in, in you? Like, what's the inner journey like for someone? Because I think to hear someone talk as honestly as, as you have done and you are doing about that, I think it's very unusual because I don't think most men do get into intimate relationships with other men. I think um, often they stay hiding and, and then they have a family or they have a job or they have a career, but that need to build themselves up and to dominate and to be strong um, in many, many cases, I'm, I'm not sure that it gets met. Um, but for you, you're someone who's dramatically changed and transformed. And now you are happily married. You've got two little girls. You do a huge amount of mentoring. You have a really successful um, podcast and you've built up a big community for men. Um, tell me about that inner journey in yourself from, from you know, where, where you were to, to the point where now you can... Um, be so reflective and objective about these things. What has to happen for someone? Well, um, there are many aspects of it. But since we talk about the child, now there are spiritual aspects and spiritual awakening, which um, happened to me in Africa when I was in Zambia in 2000, and well, just before I met you, basically. Then a lot of emotions, I, instead of running away from them, instead of being addicted to food and to pornography and to, or to just watching a film or reading a book, just to make the to numb the emotion, I started meeting them. I started feeling them and I started expressing them. A lot of hatred, things, strong energy that I didn't know was in me. And, and that started liberating me. But probably what made them a huge difference uh, in most of the case was that embracing that little child purely by faith because I still didn't like him. And yet I started realizing that, oh, if there's anything ugly in this child, it's because he's been darkened. Something happened to him, not because that's his nature. If I have a, um, an aspiration for something beautiful and glorious in me, something heroic, then it must come from somewhere. But if I see ugliness, that must come from somewhere too. So just like you wouldn't judge another child, if it's your own or somebody you know, I started receiving that little child. I started going back into my past and undoing the damage that I've done. Yes, the world has done damage. My father's done damage to me, the world. But it's what we accept unconsciously oh yeah I guess I am dirty I, I guess I am rotten because we don't see the bigger forces around this child that have captured it and all the trauma so I started just calling him back to life I started asking him to come back to me and I started asking his forgiveness to come back to me and this is why my outer journey reflects the inner journey it's like lifting off burden burden after burden Less weight training, less bodybuilding, less drivenness, less having to numb myself with bad food so that then I have to go and burn out by doing cardio. Less of everything external and more of internal riches. Okay, come back to me. 
come back to me. And it's like a resurrection. It's like a gradual resurrection. So, um, yeah, integration. Yeah, amazing. And so, so you build a relationship within yourself, a relationship of peace and a relationship where that peace that you lacked and that drivenness that you had over you when we, when we met and that kind of conflictedness, does that begin to dissipate and go? Yeah, definitely. It's not gone yet, but it's probably, I mean, it, as you know, only 10 years ago, I was a different person, totally different person in, in, in body, in spirit, in soul, in ability to make eye contact, in ability to connect with people, also in ability to be tender with people without, without having to push myself to be tender. Because sometimes, let's say somebody weeps in your presence and you feel, well, I guess I need to put my hand over them. But it's almost like an effort. And now sometimes just compassion comes out of me, which is so nice to feel. It's nice to feel that. I've never, the men I grew up around, even my friends in Bulgaria, if somebody started crying, like we're all going to feel so awkward. <laughs> and, it's, and it's almost like comical to watch because we don't know what to do with these emotions because we haven't met them in ourselves. And, but for me, it seems like new abilities, apart, not to mention all the new hobbies, like I learned to swim and pursuing different things. Apart from this, that's just bonus. But, but it's just inner freedom. It's inner freedom with women as well. Because, you know, when you know that you're not dirty, when you know that you are honoring and respecting a woman, you have nothing to hide. And you can have friendships, even though I, not deep friendship with a woman, but all those friendships that, that are healthy, I can have them. So that's, that's good. That's so liberating, so healthy. Yeah. And what are the things that you do now to keep on that path? Because it is a really um, crucial part of your life, that healing process and going from being split and conflicted to being um, like we talk about integration and like coming back to the child and nurturing your child within that child that got damaged and hurt and conflicted in childhood and shut into a kind of box, you welcoming that child back. What are the things that you do now? And if you were talking to other men who were who were listening or who you were talking to, um, what are the practical things or what are the, the daily practices? You know, what, what can be really helpful for you? Well, I do have a spiritual life and I do, um, uh, obviously I do consult with a higher power because <laughs> he, he gives me the way to what to do and what I need on a daily basis. But um, it's, it's, it's nothing that I plan really. Now, the daily practices on the practical are things like nurturing the abilities and the talents and the gifts that the child had and then since lost. So I started walking back into the new territory of, okay, drawing, drawing, if I could draw, writing, uh, listening to types of music that I didn't listen to before, swimming. Um, I'm learning to play the violin now and things. And I'm looking into new things as well, um, reading different types of book, which the child actually wanted to and I, and I just deprived him of. However, this is all the pleasant stuff. We have to dig into the shadow. I do a lot of shadow work. I do a lot of expression of, of, of really, really deep, nasty emotions. As soon as something comes on the outside that provokes me, my old self would have just said, oh, well, we should be quiet and we should be spiritual people and let it all go and forgive. But I don't, I don't have time for the bullshit anymore. It's, I dig deep and say, okay, why am, what am I feeling right now? Where is it going to take me? I, I'm not afraid of the dark. I... I was hidden in the dark for a long time. And you, can only, you should only be afraid of it if you don't come out of it. But since I'm coming out of it, I'm like, okay, 
there's more let's let's think what do you feel and very often it's just negative emotions like self-hatred but this time i go in the bedroom and i just express them express them just to myself and to god and to honor that child and uh, the surprising thing is that forgiveness follows after that so the result of my almost daily practices of dealing with the broken world and with the broken me and with broken people around me is forgiveness but the process of forgiveness is anger the things that I never had in my it's funny how I could never have anger I could never feel strong as a boy but I could never have forgiveness as well I was a very bitter guy I hated myself and others deeply without even realizing it uh, but now since I'm becoming stronger and I can oppose others I can oppose the world, I become far more forgiving because I can honor myself so then nothing else is a threat so a lot of digging into my emotions and liberating me from anything negative and forgiveness yeah i'm so glad you've talked about that because i think forgiveness is of all of the subjects i think about and write about and talk about it's incredibly controversial um you get really extreme reactions and it isn't easy but but forgiveness is the most powerful force that you ever see you know i've spent so many hours over so many years working with people around suffering and pain and crisis and the the power that someone comes into the power that someone finds and connects to when they forgive but i think this is just my experience but i think that people really struggle to forgive when they don't um, believe in or have confidence in anything bigger than themselves so I don't necessarily mean anything religious but I think that I think it's much easier to forgive when you feel accountable to something bigger than yourself and often I've worked with people who their entire world is just their own feelings that is the world to them their feelings their views their opinions that is the world um, and that makes it I think very very difficult to to forgive so how did you how did you come to forgive how did you break out of that world where you were just so confined to the gym and to your muscles and your tattoos and your anger talk about that journey to forgiveness and how it happens um i realized how much my father whom i worshipped up until i was 24 25 i couldn't allow any any bad thoughts about him to enter my mind let alone to say anything bad because he was a very rare he still is a very rare man he's uh, not just only this tough guy who gets things done and he sort of uh, is respected but he also is a good man he helped people and he he's different he's different he's not never been a radical man in many ways so um at least outwardly so i i just idolized this guy and i never said anything bad about him but through my wife my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife exposing my insecurities and making me feel anger first towards her but then i realized i started realizing the hatred that i had towards my father which i could never embody i could never say dad i don't like you i've never said that <laughs> um and if you don't express one single emotion imagine what that that does over a decade or two decades then where does it go it goes underground and it takes away drains you from energy and, and distorts your perception of reality so I had to become aware first of my hatred and secondly of my strength because to me it wasn't even a fear or accountability to God. I'm sorry to say that I'm probably a lot um, in many ways far behind than other people because this can, ha, has never driven me. I couldn't forgive because somebody told me I had to forgive. I never could, never. I said, I don't care. He's not in my shoes. 
If, if, if he's feeling the things that I'm feeling, let, let me see him. And even if he does forgive, so what? So to me, what enabled me to forgive was the realization that actually I can have my strength back. That those people who wronged me, they were wrong. And if God could help me at the time, even though he, he's placed them to help me, so it's not like he wasn't helping me, but they were not do, doing his job. He wasn't going to force them. He doesn't force anything to do any, you know, anything. So then I would have been strong. And strong people can forgive. See, when you look at the films, when you look at the real life stories, history, is the weak people who rape and murder. It's the weak people. Men who have been depraved of strength and then it turns and festers inside and then it comes out. And as soon as the certain circumstances come in place, they can do horrible things and nobody even knows how. Well, if we all, as men, we all have the sword. It's either inside somewhere or it's outside and you see it and don't cross this boundary. And a man who is strong outwardly, not bullying, strong, somebody who, who just has self-respect, he wouldn't let you bully him. He is, by my experience, far easier for him to forgive because he knows who he is and he knows that, well, I don't need to allow bad things into my life. So to me, the forgiveness means first, I'm strong. They should not have abuse me they should not have done this and just finding that that righteous anger and then feeling right i've got them now now i've got power over them and now only by this power i choose to release them because you know what i'm i'm not gonna carry them around with me there might be somebody who will never repent there might be somebody who uh, is stuck in their dark ways so does it mean that i need to carry that with me no 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 i cut them with my sword and i let them go but the beauty of it is as soon as i do this i then see the world from their perspective as well so it's not just these self-righteous things, I'm better than you, get out of my life. It's like, wow, dad, you were just, well, if you want me, I can give you a story from yesterday. <laughs> and I struggle sometimes to share stories where I, I felt so vulnerable because people say, well, you're leading men, you should be, you should be over this now, but they don't know, they don't know. <laughs> um, I felt this really toxic sort of feeling in me yesterday and I was driving out and I went out for a run up this hill because um, there was these dynamics between me and my wife at home. It just wasn't good and it wasn't about my wife. And she said, this is all about your dad now. <laughs> so go out and, and do what you need to do. So I went out and I just, I was asking, I was praying and said, what is it that I'm feeling? What is it? Um, and the word that came to me was bullying. Again, because your father bullied you. Like verbally, only with his eyes, you hold his gaze and I just, just, Forget about being. My sense of self was just gone. I said, I just, I'm just here to, to tiptoe around this, this God. So, um, and then, because I've done a lot of inner child work, this was now the teenager in me speaking. And the teenager was saying like, would you let me beat this, this, uh, <laughs> this guy? Because he's always had this thing as like um, a macho guy who would challenge men if they challenge him. But, but the teenager in me who already... Obviously, obviously, as a teenager, you're stronger in body. So he, he said, I can take you on, man. I can take you on physically. Like, why did I allow you to scare me? Because now physically, you're not, as a teenager, I wasn't like less from my, you know, a weaker or anything. It just it was a spiritual oppression. So, and I felt God was saying to me, it's like the word that came was speak, say it, say what you feel. Don't just keep it inside of you and, and just make a mental note. This needs to come out. You need to embody this. And it was difficult. I had to climb into my car and find a space when I just felt the teenager inside of me was saying, come on, I'll take you on. You think you're very tough? And, and, and here, I, I just threw some punches in the air, like a boxing jab and jab. And I just saw how my father was, was not able to cope with that physically, even though I always thought he was really strong. But he's never really done well with being challenged 
face to face, with open eyes, to see into another man's soul and still fight. It was, it was easy for him to attack or be attacked, but which is what my story was about as well. Uh, but not to actually challenge this man because you know you're right. You know, there's something in the Bible that says the, the honest man is, is bold as a lion because then you don't fear anything in spirit so in body. So then I had a picture of my father actually, I just beating him up and he lies on the floor and I just feel, and I just rage and scream at him and I just swore and cursed and I kicked him and I just, no, actually I didn't kick him. This time I didn't kick him. Well, that's interesting because this almost was about honor. The, the times before when the inner child, when I have kicked him, uh, they were about just expressing hatred. Uh, this time I didn't. I just said to him, what are you going to say to me now? What are you going to say to me? Now you're defeated. What are you going to say? And do you know what really, uh, after I outpoured this, this energy, this anger, I was just sitting there and then, and I saw him bruised and bleeding. And what came out of his mouth was what I've never heard him say, but I heard his voice. And he said, my son, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I was doing this to you. I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? And I was like, wow. He doesn't ask to get up and, and hit me back. He doesn't, he's not, he just, he's finally been brought to his knees and, and he's gone to the bottom of his soul when he, the bottom of his soul was actually good towards me. Everything else came in the way. But I got to the bottom of it. So, and he said, can you forgive me? And for the first time, because I was ready to, um, I was raging. I was fuming. I was like, come on, give me more. Give me more. I'm finally feeling alive. I'm finally this warrior who you never push me around anymore. Give me more and I'll give you more. And I was caught off guard by emotion. I was overcome with emotion. And I saw his, his, his hand, the strong hand um, that, that just reached out and I said, can I take his hand? Is he going to hit me? What is he going to do? But I just saw, I felt the softness and I felt the tears and I said, oh, dad. And I just pulled him and I, I felt it. It was a physical feeling. I felt his skin off my skin and I just wept and I cried. And, and I said, I'm so sad that we could never have this. And he said, I'm so sad that we could never. And so suddenly, just this, in this one experience over half an hour, I've come full circle. Real, realizing of the father's wound raging against it, overcoming the father, but then forgiving the father as well, to my own benefit. See, people think forgiveness is, is about others. It's not about others. It, it's about me. I need what my father could give me. Sons and fathers are meant to bond. Fathers are meant to give us things. And when we hate them on the outside of us, we, we hate parts of us. So when I hugged them and when I forgave, something came alive in me. I was so peaceful. So just, just one experience. <laughs> things like this happen to me all the time. Such a absolutely beautiful story and um, it illustrates really well what I think is such a profound principle, which is often people I, I work with, they don't want to look into the dark stuff. It's suppressed and it's buried deep and they don't want to put their parents on trial. They don't want to do anything that would be uncomfortable to them. But that's such a beautiful illustration of the fact that the reason, the point of doing difficult work work that is bloody and painful and smells and is is dirty within yourself is that what will happen if you do that work and you go into the darkness and you pursue facing the things that you've dealt with and have haunted you inside and then you pursue the difficult work of forgiveness in every case where a person does that what happens at the end is restoration restoration and in that person's heart, they get themselves back. They get themselves back. 
So thank you for your beautiful, beautiful story today and uh, for just being able to share in such an honest and such an open way. I really, really appreciate it. And it's a privilege for me to hear your story and to talk about our relationship. Thank you. Well, thank you. I, <laughs> I didn't know how this was going to go. Obviously, we talk a lot about these things, but we've never recorded it. So uh, it feels like you've interviewed me and I just went with it. So <laughs> I hope that was good. Wonderful. Thanks so much, George. Love hey, you lots, thanks, bro. Thanks, John. Thank you.